Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Alternative Fund Insight, exploring the trends and meeting the personalities driving hedge funds and private markets. My name is Will Wainwright and my guest this week is Stuart Fiertz, co-founder and president at $10 billion London firm Cheney Capital Management. This episode is a cracker. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a written review on your chosen platform. And remember, you can visit alternativefundinsight.com, follow AFI on LinkedIn and sign up to our email, described by readers as an essential weekly update for those in hedge funds and private markets. Our most read articles last week focused on what the collapse of crypto exchange FTX means for the hedge fund industry and the strong performance of event driven in October. My guest today needs little introduction. Stuart Fitz is one of the leading figures in the European alternatives industry, having co-founded Cheney Capital with Jonathan Lurie in 2000. Since the financial crisis, the $10 billion firm has pivoted towards private credit and other areas of alternatives, while retaining a foothold in hedge. Stuart discusses his firm's journey, the outlook for alternatives and markets, the state of ESG, UK politics and much else besides. Stuart, thank you for joining me on AFI today. Can we start with an update on Cheney as it stands today? Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, back in, uh, in 2008, uh, my partner Jonathan Lurie and I took a deep look at the markets, uh, hopefully with a, with a healthy dose of humility, and, and really thought hard about where we should direct our efforts, where could we add the most value, and we took a view that we should focus on those markets that were uh, the, the least well capitalized, if you will, and where we thought that lack of, of capital would be sustained for a longer period than, say, just a tactical uh, trade. And so we shifted the firm's focus more towards uh, private uh, credit uh, with an initial effort in, in um real estate-backed uh, lending, and then more laterally uh, into providing uh, debt to recapitalize uh, primarily non-sponsored European SMEs and, and uh, uh, moving now increasingly into uh, primary financing for non-sponsored uh, SMEs. Because it's in those non-sponsored areas or in those parts of the market that are least well capitalized that, that we can keep our, our underwriting discipline and we can uh, achieve... Uh, uh, good uh, risk rewards. We can uh, get decent yields without having to sacrifice the uh, the covenants uh, and the uh, credit credit uh, enhancement that we want. So the shape of the firm has changed in terms of its uh, investing focus. Um, assets now around the ten billion dollar mark. That's right. It, it it works out to be a little over half in real estate backed lending and and about a a quarter in the corporate uh, stressed and, and non-sponsored uh, SME space uh, with a continuing activity in investment grade uh, credit um, and uh, lesser uh, activity in long-term equity. Mm-hmm. And of those opportunities, what is the one that is really exciting you at the moment? 
Well, Will, you're asking me to choose amongst my children, and, and that's, uh, that's always a tough, a tough thing to do. Uh, I, I think the, the key uh, point is to really be thoughtful um, about where uh, other actors have been uh, uh, ill-disciplined and where the dynamics are such that it's going to be hard for them to be uh, disciplined. And, and we've seen in Europe a, a retreat uh, by the banks uh, for real estate lending, uh, particularly for value added, uh, but increasingly in, in core plus uh, as well. Um, and some of the U.S. players have, have retreated back uh, back to the U.S. as they want to do whenever there's a, a little uh, uh, bump in the road. Uh, on the uh, uh, corporate side, uh, we've we've always uh, tried to stay away from the dynamic of of uh, providing leverage to the big private equity firms. Uh, it's a relatively narrow base of of uh, potential uh, uh, borrowers, and so it's quite difficult to retain your discipline when you need them to feed you on the next deal. Uh, with mm-hmm. that, so th- those are really two areas that we find uh, uh, that there's a sustained opportunity. Um, with that, I, I can't uh, uh, leave out uh, uh, one of our oldest children, which is our investment grade credit program, where uh, the uh, disruption in the in the corporate bond market and the need for counterparties to hedge their uh, uh, risk, uh, their counterparty risk, if you will, uh, has led to a flattening of the credit curve, and, and we really like uh, short term uh, two to three year investment grade uh, credit risk as well. And stepping back to look at alternatives as a whole, it's been a tumultuous year for markets. What is the case now for alternatives as we head into 2023? How are you framing this for investors? Well, I think it's one of those markets where it feels like the tide is is is, is coming out and we're going to see who's still wearing the, the swim trunks, so to speak. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, of strong currents that will affect uh, the ability of companies to refinance. Uh, on the real estate side, you have uh, the combination of, of much higher interest rates with higher cap rates. And as a consequence, when uh, current borrowers look to roll over their debt or if they uh, trigger their, their LTV covenants, they're going to find it very difficult to, to roll that debt. So that's going to make the real estate market uh, very dynamic with some over-leveraged players uh, or uh, lever- players finding themselves to be over-leveraged and they thought that they were sensibly leveraged. And you can see that in the share prices of some of the listed uh, REITs, uh, just thinking of the German uh, multifamily stocks as, as a good example. So we think that's going to be a, di- a dynamic area where there's no obvious beta to own, so you need to move into more of an alternative approach. Similarly, on the corporate side, uh, the many participants did not stick to their, their discipline, and they wrote a lot of debt with weak covenants that let the uh, equity uh, hang on to their option for longer, um, might defer defaults, but ultimately the recoveries are going to be quite low. So you need to be... Uh, even more fleet-footed today than you were before. So don't don't trust the betas, and uh, and focus on on value-add strategies. Mm-hmm. So we're in the midst of the worst year for the sixty forty portfolio in almost a century. Do you think this is going to bring a big change in how investors view alternatives? Is diversification now 
the the most important thing because that that should um, feed quite well into allocations. Well, I, th- I think um, if, if we step back and and uh, think about what most investors are looking for over the very long term, and and I think it's it's in the the U.S. tax code, but I think it's it's uh, uh, a good starting point, which is to say that investors are looking for a five percent real return, um, and uh, and so depending on your inflation outlook, you need to get an eight. Eight percent, eight nine percent type return, and today you can do that with the combination of bonds and a much lower allocation to growth assets, and and so I think you're going to see uh, a uh, reduction in trust or reliance on the on the equity markets, and and uh, investors are going to feel much more comfortable owning uh, uh, credit and and alternatives um, where you can rely on that. Uh, that kicker more readily uh, to to take that bond yield up to to your target return. Yeah, and I mentioned it had been a busy year. There's no let up. Um, we've got Rishi Sunak um, beginning his new government in the UK at the at the time of speaking. The US midterms are coming up. War in Ukraine continues. Inflation is still high. What are the key risks that you and your team are monitoring now? Well, we, we think that the, the playbook to get through the uh, energy crisis, which is, which is uh, uh, to a large extent uh, uh, brought upon us by the, uh, the war in Ukraine, um, which is feeding through to a cost of living crisis. So we, we, need, to, we need to keep a, an eye on, on discretionary spending of the consumer. Uh, we're, we're a bit concerned about that. Uh, we think that governments will continue to uh, look to subsidize the high energy costs, which are a function of a, of a political decision uh, to uh, stand up to Russia uh, so that the consumer will be somewhat protected. It'll be a little bit like COVID. Uh, uh, I think workers will be uh, um, furloughed rather than, than being forced to be laid off. Uh, but there's going to be a limit to how far governments can go. And we need to look at that limit. We saw in the UK, uh, the the effect of uh, bond market vigilantes, which is which led to to uh, Richie Sunak uh, uh, coming uh, uh, in as prime minister to, to form the new government. Uh, so we, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to keep an eye on on that to make sure that uh, uh, support is affordable and we don't go over the the tipping point. What do you think about U.S. rates and the outlook now? Well, I, I think that that. Um, Inflation expectations will start to fall, uh, and the question is, will they fall fast enough uh, in the minds of, of, of the Federal Reserve? At, at the moment, it looks like uh, with where inflation is today, the long bond needs to be higher, um, that, that it's rarely uh, have, has such a low uh, real yield. So we're a bit cautious about, about uh, the long end of the market. Uh, in the US. So let's talk about private credit. Um, a big area of opportunity, a big growth in this market since 2008 for, for reasons that have, have been well covered. Going into the rest of the 2020s, what are the main risks facing private credit? I, th- I think that private credit uh, in general got a pretty good uh, test during during COVID and, and um, 
uh, private credit was able to work with their borrowers and keep defaults at, at levels that were much lower than, than, than feared. And I think mm-hmm. private credit is going to have more flexibility to be accommodating going forward uh, than, than banks are. The criticism or the question over private credit was, well, what will they do when times get difficult? Well, with the uh, implementation of IFRS 9, it's much harder for banks to extend and pretend now. In fact, I think, I think uh, if you borrowed from a bank, you're in much worse shape than if you borrowed from, from, private, from a private lender uh, mm-hmm. because uh, private lenders are not... Uh, subject in the same way to the uh, capital, uh, uh, this capital sort of trigger that we don't have to post more capital because we've we've generally funded with 100% cash uh, uh, equity to begin with. So I, I think that that private credit will get through this cycle well. Um, I think that we will uh, discover uh, that the covenants in the syndicated loan market and the widely distributed loan market are uh, very weak, and so the recoveries will be low. I think private credit, there was some lack of discipline, but there are some very clever firms that will uh, will know what to do and, and uh, uh, can work with their borrowers. So I'm reasonably uh, optimistic, and I hope I can say that without uh, being accused of burying my head in the sand. And how does it compare to private equity? So you know, different areas of alternatives, similar in some ways. In private equities, you've got this big trend towards continuation funds. Now, we're not seeing anything like that in private credit, are we? Not, not in the same sense, because a, a good uh, uh, private credit loan, the, the, the company improves uh, and then the credit quality improves and, and you, you get refinanced. Um, I think what you see, the closest that you see in private credit is is the advent of of more evergreen like funds, where you as the investor get the option to step off uh, the train, so to speak, where you can mm-hmm. elect to not be reinvested, and then the positions you have uh, run off. Um, really striking, I think, a nice balance between the the desire for investors to, to stay fully invested, uh, yet uh, not lose the the strength of the pull to par, uh, the strength of the dynamics of the companies you're lending to, uh, and and really opening yourself up to to multiple cycles. This this way, uh, uh, you you really capture the best of both worlds. I'm interested to cover a, a few different areas now. I, I'll start with. Um how we talk about alternatives. And when you and Jonathan Lowry started, Chady, there was a definite hedge fund industry, different strategies, but defined and pulled together as a hedge fund industry. Things have changed a lot since then. And, and firms who were part of that, like CQS, that's now 70% long only, Lansdowne stopped short selling in, it, in its main fund. How do you define the, the industry as a whole now? I think that's a that's the, uh, the sort of classic sixty four thousand dollar question, or or um, or without being cynical, one can have a number of answers depending on 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 the audience. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I say that because the use of hedge funds is uh, is, is diverse uh, uh, across the the investors. Some some investors view it as the actively manage part of their uh, allocations. Uh, others uh, define 
themselves of having a long only mandate and, and a separate uh, hedge fund uh, mandate uh, with that. And, and we think it can, it can fulfill those, those roles and you need to, as an investor, need to understand what kind of a hedge fund are you talking about. Uh, for some of the uh, hedge funds that you've mentioned, uh, uh, they found it uh, relatively difficult to uh, consistently make money on the shorts and, and they found that that most of the shorts ended up ending up being index shorts and um, and, and so they felt quite comfortable going into a long only world where, where they'd have a, a benchmark of being the index that effectively meant that they were short short uh, short the index against their their positions uh, to begin with so mm-hmm. why short why short the uh, uh, the index be long short why not open yourself up to be a, a, a value-added long-only manager. Um, we find, and, and it's perhaps because we've kept our long-short equity funds relatively small, we, we've found that we can make money on the short side. And, and so we have classic hedge funds. And, and then we, our investment grade credit program is, is really a, a leveraged long strategy with, with uh, uh, a rolling uh, disaster um, hedge uh, put on it to to, to guard against um, uh, gap risk. Uh, mm-hmm. To the private credit side, where where the market factors are something you build into your underwriting, and and uh, and you uh, build a big enough cushion that you're not impacted by the the, the up and down movement of the of of the market. So I I, I think alternatives are. At some stage, there may not be alternatives. There will just be active and passive management, uh, and then. And then within that, you'll have your your range of of, uh, of criteria, whether it's in a more narrow structure like the old 130 30 ones where you're allowed to do a little bit of long short uh, to 100 percent long short to to everything in between. Mm-hmm. An example of the shift is the fact that the standards board for alternative investments in which you play a leading role um, was actually started um, after the financial crisis as the Hedge Fund Standards Board. Really, uh, the, the the name change reflected uh, the fact that that the issues around hedge funds were were broader than just uh, the, the the sort of classic sense of of either a macro fund or a long short equity fund, um, and that they applied to other areas. Um, so the decision was made to to broaden the remit to, to change the name, uh, and then uh, and then look at uh, sectors like um, uh, insurance linked uh, investing. Uh, more recently, looking at some of the uh, crypto uh, issues uh, out out there uh, with it. The the organization itself, uh, we made a a I think a. Uh, took a blinder of a decision and, and decided to rebalance the board from being 100% managers to being uh, 50% um, allocators or investors and 50% managers, uh, so that we had a voice within the industry that was very clearly uh, balanced uh, in the interests of both both the the allocator and and the manager. Let's turn to ESG. Has the case for ESG been dented this year? How do you frame the debate when talking to clients? Yeah, I think the uh, ESG debate has been um, 
well, the, G, the ESG efforts have been undermined by uh, a lack of intellectual discipline about what ESG ratings are and what they're meant to be. Uh, you have uh, one set of ratings, which is uh, rating the risk to a company from uh, environmental, social, and, and governance uh, factors, and another set of ratings uh, that is rating the impact of that company on mm. the world's environment, on the world's society, and on, uh, on governance more broadly. And if you can't agree with what lens, or if you think you're looking at it through the same lens, but indeed you have you know, two different uh, binoculars with, with, with one looking one direction, one looking the other, you're not going to you're not going to make very sensible decisions. So I think we've got to almost go back to to square one and think about what it is that that we're uh, trying to do on the financial side with with uh, with ESG. Um, at a minimum, we need to be uh, looking at it as a risk factor to to any investment: the risk of st- stranded assets, the risk of consumer boycotts, the risk of uh, fines for polluting, and so forth, uh, and then. Uh, I think the the investment world has a role to play, but I think um, it's important that politicians and regulators don't think that that the investment management industry has all the responsibility here uh, if they pass the rules to make external externalities uh, more uh, well, make the externalities uh, a cost to businesses rather than an impact on wider society, then you would have very rapid change by the companies. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I think there's more that should be done uh, from a regulatory point of view. It comes back to this idea that that uh, politicians don't want to make difficult decisions. At heart, they're all populists uh, and they don't want to lead us. They want to uh, get reelected. Let's turn to operations. So you started Cheney 22 years ago. How has the job of running a hedge fund or alternatives man- manager changed on the operations side, the technology, recruitment, retention, those kinds of areas? I, I think, well, I think that's a great question. Um, I think that the burden um, was in a sense always there. Uh, it wasn't mandated, but if you were running your business properly, you needed to be managing conflicts of interest. You needed to have sufficient capital in your opco. You needed good record keeping. You needed uh, good BCP planning. You needed uh, good uh, cybersecurity, um, and you needed to invest in quality people, keep both on the recruitment side as well as as ongoing uh, training. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we haven't found that to be an increase. Uh, it's just that perhaps it's it's looked at more often and more rig- more. I wouldn't say rigorously, but but more formally. Um, so for some, th- this might today might seem to be a much heavier uh, burden than in, in the past. At the at the same time, I can't uh, deny that things like Brexit give us extra costs. We we had to set up a supermanco in Ireland and have uh, substance uh, in Ireland uh, to uh, enable us to continue to access uh, the EU in, in investor market. Uh, and, and there's greater reporting requirements today than there was in the past, even though I'd argue that the uh, differences in, in uh, methodology for those reports is so disparate between the US and, and Europe that, that the data they get is, is uh, in my view, uh, meaningless. Um, 
uh, with that. Uh, mm-hmm. More recently, I think the with the end of end of COVID, there's been a little bit more um, movement amongst amongst people. We've we've found. Uh, uh, some people backfilling on talent, and and uh, if, if you run a good firm, it's a compliment when people come knocking on on your door. It's it's uh, it's annoying, but it, but it's not, uh, I suppose, in that sense, mm-hmm. unexpected uh, with it. So we're we're um, yeah, we're we're feeling a bit of that movement right now uh, with it. But we've also hired some great people this year. Sure. Okay, great. So a couple more. I mean, just going back to the start of Cheney, so you were principally equity and convertibles focused. The firm was founded in 2000. 22 years later, the shape has changed in terms of strategies. Go forward 22 years to 2044. What does Cheney look like? How will strategies change? Is there a succession plan? Well, I hope by uh, 2044 we're on a on a bungalow, so I don't have to go up any stairs. Um, well, I, th- I think the, the 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 starting point will is that when when we sat down, Jonathan and I, we set about building a a, a company that would uh, outlive us. Um, and uh, while it might seem, sound crass to some, we've we've never been in rented offices. We've always owned our office building. Uh, we've always wanted to make a very strong statement to uh, our employees and partners, to our counterparties in the in the, the street, whether it's here in London or, or the U.S. And, and around the world, and also uh, to our investors that that we intend to be around for a while. We need to uh, we need to uh, continue that, and uh, uh, we've. Uh, s- set about building up a very strong uh, team around us that, that actually uh, frees up my time to, to chat with you, Will, for example, um, and, and spend a bit more time with, with our, uh, our investors and our prospective investors. Let me finish um, with a question about today's news. The UK has its first hedge fund manager, Prime Minister. What do you make of the outlook for the UK now under Rishi Sunak? Well, I, I think um, hedge fund experience aside, uh, or maybe because of it, he is is very much aware of the impact of each step that he takes. Uh, and we're coming off of a period of, of um, uh, very high spending during COVID. Uh, we're coming across uh, into, a, into a time where there is... Uh, going to be high spending to protect the consumer for uh, high energy costs this this uh, this winter and hopefully not into the next, but perhaps. Uh, and that really ties uh, his hands uh, to a large extent. So he's going to have to uh, keep spending under control uh, and um, and reassure the, the the bond market. The the, the bond market vigilantes are back. They were uh, in hibernation for a long time when, when the printing presses were whirring away, but eventually uh, uh, they've really caught up with, uh, uh, or they've, they've come out uh, because debt, debt is high. Uh, fis- fiscal, fiscal spending was, uh, was profligate. Uh, uh, we, yeah. we spent a lot of money dur- during COVID uh, and and now we're spending a lot on on uh, on the energy side. Uh, that just tie, love ties hands.
There's been a lot written about the fall in sterling, but could that help us get out of this? Well, I've always viewed the the fact that sterling was floating rate as, as one of uh, uh, of our country's strongest uh, or, or, or greatest strengths, and we saw that coming out of the GFC. With the weakness of sterling, we, we uh, were the first to start growing again. Um, our hands are not tied in the same way as the Italians are. The, the Italians are stuck with a with a euro that prices more off of German productivity than off of Italian productivity. Uh, we have to overcome uh, stickier borders, uh, more paperwork, um, maybe a, a bias against the UK, but but at the same time, cur- the currency can can adjust or has adjusted, and, and we should be able to uh, to start seeing a little bit of uh, positive news, uh, uh, I think, on the, on the export side. Great. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for your time and joining me today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you to Stuart for making the time. You can read my five takeaways from the interview now on alternativefundinsight.com. If you have friends or colleagues in the industry who would enjoy the podcast or AFI analysis on the website, please let them know about it. As ever, all feedback is appreciated. Contact me at will at alternativefundinsight.com. That's it for now. See you next time.